some folks have responded. It's his money. He can do what he wants. Sure. That's totally true. It is his money. He can set it on fire. However, where it becomes more complex is if he's betting so much and losing so much that he has to chase money. And that leads to a, a complete reshifting of the entire professional golf landscape, which might or might not be exactly what happened. Then Phil's private gambling becomes a, of keen interest to the entire golf world. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. I'm in Los Angeles covering the U.S. Women's Amateur Championship at Bel Air Country Club. Matt Janella is with us. He is in Ireland, about to play in the father-son at Waterville. Um, but we've reconvened, we, we've reconnoitered because uh, we have the world-exclusive uh, first excerpt on Billy Walter's much-anticipated autobiography, Gambler. Um, Matt, you've seen the material. <laughs> what, what do you think? I mean, I, you know, I've been around the golf, you know, business as long as you have, right? Almost kind of came in the same time. It's been no, you know, big secret that Phil, you know, is a betting man. <laughs> he, he bets on, you know, he bets on himself in the sense that that's the way he plays the game. Uh, there's, there's a gajillion, you know, rumors about, his uh his off course gambling we've heard of him betting on the ravens to win the super bowl you know we don't hear a lot about the losses we certainly don't know the nitty gritty i remember at a golf digest photo shoot when we were at the bridges in rancho santa fe and he rolled up in this black suv you know sat in the parking lot for what seemed to be you know upwards of a half an hour. It felt more probably like two hours where we're just all sitting there waiting for him to get out of the car. You know, he was making his bets for the day. Uh, he then proceeded to show us the bulletproof glass that he had in his car. And we were like, why would, why would Phil Mickelson need bulletproof glass? in his <laughs> SUV? Like what exactly is going on here? Like it just, it was just a really random, uh, you know, situation and odd quite frankly. But when you read this book excerpt and you hear about the details of what he was doing and how he was doing it and the numbers, not only the numbers of bets, but the, the numbers associated to the financial component of all this, when the number is a B and not an M. Yeah. Well, let's, let's I go mean, to the numbers. It, Let's go to the numbers because people haven't seen this yet. It Billy Walters was Phil Mickelson's gambling partner. People think he was his bookie, but in reality, they had this partnership. And Billy, as he tells it, wanted access to Phil's books, including some offshore ones that he said had $400,000 limits per game, per bet. And because Billy was too good and he would get cut off by his own, his own bookmakers or they had to give him really low limits, like 20 K. But Phil was such a pigeon. He's like, okay, let's, let's, let's go into business. So 
Billy was also a meticulous record keeper uh, because offshore betting, interstate gambling, you know, th these are gray areas, especially 10 or more years ago. And so he kept track of everything. So, and he paid taxes and he had a whole fleet of lawyers to kind of help him navigate the legality of, of this stuff. So th this is, this, these are some of the numbers from, from Billy Walters. This is the period between 2010 and 2014. He says, Phil bet $110,000 to win $100,000, a total of 1,115 times. On 858 occasions, Phil bet $220,000 to win 200,000. When you do the math, that comes to $311 million just on those bets. According to Billy, in 2011, Mickelson made 3,154 bets, an average of nine per day. And he says, on June 22nd, 2011, Phil made 43 bets on Major League Baseball games, losing $144,000. Um, and in that period that Billy's talking about, 2010 to 14, Mickelson made over 7,000 wagers on football, basketball, and baseball. And th this is what you're alluding to, Matt. Th this, this is what Billy says. I'm reading from the book now. Based on our relationship and what I've learned from others, uh, in all, Phil wagered a total of more than $1 billion during the past three decades. That's Billy with a B. Um, now, Billy's not privy to the wins and losses, but he estimates that Phil has lost in the neighborhood of a hundred million dollars um, from all the, from all those bets. I mean, that that's real money because what, you know, in the book, Billy quotes Phil as saying uh, that Mickelson's net worth is $250 million. It's probably grown since then. We know that with live golf and everything else, but if you're worth 250k and or 250 million and you're losing 100 million that is a massive percentage of even if you're worth half a billion you, you're losing 20% of that just gone um, th these are these are pretty staggering numbers and it's it's like you said Matt I mean it was part of Phil's brand has always been he's a gambler everyone kind of knew it and it was whispered about but this is the first time we have the real receipts now in, in my biography I had access to a source who who saw some um, IRS documents, and they they put Phil's gambling losses at forty million dollars in that in that period, two thousand and ten to fourteen. But that was just a snapshot. Um, you know, Billy has more information clearly because he was the guy who was placing the bets and talking it over on a daily basis, and the volume is is pretty incredible. Um, when, when you hear those numbers, what is your reaction? It's, it's staggering. I mean, and, and it also, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit like Tiger. When we heard and started seeing the numbers of women that Tiger had been with or all the different sort of relationships he was managing, it was like, how could he manage all of that and still have that level of success on the golf course? To me, it's a very similar reaction certainly a different situation but the wherewithal the game as we know it is so complex and complicated and hard to you know hard to hard to master you have to be right 
in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul, in your convictions of, of what you're capable of in order to, to execute on a day to day, week to week, tour to tour, like good. I mean, so uh, that was kind of like my thought is like, oh my God, both of these guys have achieved this type of success while also juggling these, what would be perceived to be shit storms off the course. It's, imp- you know, in some ways it's actually really impressive. I mean, <laughs> that's that many bets tracking all that s- stuff. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it- it's remarkable that, as you're saying, that the two greatest golfers of the last, you know, three decades had these, these addiction issues. And, you know, Phil has used the word addiction talking about his gambling. Tiger's been to, to treatment at least twice that we know of for addictions. Um, and it always was that belief that to play the, the highest level of golf, you had to have a clear mind, but, um, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they needed that constant rush and that, mm-hmm. that, 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 the energy and the juice. And then when they got between the ropes, that's when everything kind of quieted down and that was their respite from all the chaos. And maybe that's why they could lock in during those four hours. I don't know. It, it, it does put to lie what, you know, golfers have always said, you know, when I'm going through a divorce, when I'm whatever, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't think about golf. I couldn't play golf. My father died. It affected my golf for two years. Like (laughs) these guys just sailed through the chaos. It's remarkable. Speaking of chaos, 2012 Ryder Cup, in this book excerpt, Billy says Phil calls him to try to put a bet on Team USA, Medina. Yeah. You know, this This was the Ryder Cup. You know, Billy essentially says, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Now, and says, I don't know if he got the bet in or if he went somewhere else, but he came to me with the bet, and I was like, you're crossing lines here that that I'm not comfortable being a part of. Pete Rose lines. Yeah, let me, I'm going to read that passage because I, it's really interesting. Um, Phil calls him up from Medina, and of course, this is Billy's words. He was so confident that he asked me to place a $400,000 wager for him on the U.S. team to win. I could not believe what I was hearing. Have you lost your fucking mind? I told him. Don't you remember what happened to Pete Rose? Um, I mean, it's pretty funny. And... Again, that was always the, the defense of, of Pete Rose, um, you know, advocates was that, well, when you're, when you're betting on your own team, that's, you're not really doing anything wrong because you're trying to win the game no matter what. But the, the counter argument is that when, when you have that money and that stress, you might do things in the short term that's, that's not going to help the team over a long season. You're going to burn up your bullpen because you got $50,000 on this game. You don't care. You're bringing all your, cl- you're bringing your closer in, in the third inning if you have to, right? Like it can affect your strategy. Now w- with Phil, he's used to, you know, $4,000 is a third place check on the tour back then, whatever. He's used to playing for money, but it, it just speaks to a desperation. Like the Ryder Cup has enough pressure. You need the extra juice of a bet. It's crazy. I mean, the there's enough action between the ropes at the Ryder Cup. You need another 400K? Like it's it's insane. And as Billy says, we don't know if Phil placed the bet, but it speaks to his frame of mind. And we know Phil had other bookies and uh, other avenues for placing bets because some of the stuff has come out in public. Like, 
also going back to your bulletproof glass, like, you know, Phil was mixed up with Dandy Don, this, this mob mobbed up dude in Detroit. Um, and that, that, that became a whole public mess. Um, there was this, this, you know, this guy, Greg Silveri in San Diego went to prison for, uh, you know, fraud related to this wire transfer that, that was sent to a, a, a high profile golfer, the initials PM. That's what it said in the court documents. Like, um, you know, there was this guy, Brian Zurif, who Phil was one of his betting partners. And he was allegedly, you know, he, he wound up getting in trouble with the feds. Allegedly, it was linked to the Russian mafia. Like, there's, there was some shady characters very close to Phil, ergo the bulletproof glass. And so, you know, Billy didn't, didn't take the bet. But we don't know who the next guy Phil called and how big the number got. And if you remember the miracle at Medina, this is the Ryder Cup we're talking about. The whole thing flipped in singles when Justin Rose came back and beat Phil on the last the last hole. You know, Rose made that bomb on 17, and then he takes the match. So that was the key moment in in this historic comeback for Europe. Now Phil was trying to win, yes. Of course he was. And he was, if he was betting on himself, he was trying to win extra hard, but that's the whole point. Like there's already enough pressure. If Phil has some huge bet out there with some shady character who, for whom you need to have bulletproof glass, like that's just one more like log on the fire. Uh, it's, it's insane that he would put himself in that position. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you go back to Saturday. You, I, I think you go back to Saturday afternoon and, and if you recall, I believe it was Phil and Keegan Bradley who were basically unbeatable and closed out their Saturday morning match and all shot. It's like both of them only hit a total of like 22 shots, some ridiculously low number. They were playing so well. And he's the one who went to, to love and said, we're sitting out. We're sitting out for Saturday afternoon. And Keegan Bradley was like, we're sitting out. What, what, like, you know, I thought I thought it flipped that Saturday afternoon when when Europe caught a little momentum to try to like you know get get some afternoon wins leading into the singles the next day. Yeah, I mean that that's a great point. Like, what was was Phil? Yeah, was Phil resting up for his singles match because he had that's a huge wager saying. on Remember, it? it, it, I know, it I know every, it took everybody by surprise. Like, why are they not playing? They're they're unbeatable. Keep them going. Right. Yeah. They they went three and zero. Oh in the first three frames, Mickelson and Bradley, and they were housing dudes. I mean, they beat Luke Donald and Sergio Garcia, probably the, one of the strongest European teams ever, four and three. Um, then they beat boat Rory racing, and boat racing people. Boat, they beat Rory and Graham McDowell in afternoon four ball. Then you go to Saturday morning and they take on Lee Westwood and, and Luke Donald, a couple of absolute warriors. They beat him seven and six, like you're saying. And like, that, and that, that was that was a head scratcher. Why are they arresting now? There's there's a million things going on here. Phil has psoriatic <laughs> arthritis. He's old. We're just speculating, and but it does introduce this possibility. Like there was something going on, uh, and it. It, it forces you to have some revisionist history when you know that that Phil's out there on the eve of the Ryder Cup, trying to place bets. Alan, you kind of started this asking a little bit about my reaction you have spent time with billy you 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 know you you went down and met with them as you're reporting out your phil book 
you know, uh, you've dealt with him and his lawyers throughout this whole process. And then you get the excerpt, you get the excerpt on behalf of fire pit collective and giving us this exclusive. What was your reaction when you actually got to read this chapter? Yeah. And, and actually read the whole book and it's, it was interesting because I, I did sit with Billy when I was reporting the Phil book. He's not, and um, I think now, now it can be told because it's all out in the public domain. You know, I, I flew to Vegas and our whole conversation was off the record for, you know, two hours we talked and he wanted me to know who Phil was and he wanted me to know a lot of things, but he, he didn't want it in, in my book because I think he knew he was going to write his own and he didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want to give away the goods. And he actually, he told me that Ryder cup story and for two years, I've had to sit on it. I mean, I've never, I've never breathed it out loud. It's never been in print. And even as, you know, Phil was, was talking, uh, you know, talking trash about me in, in various forums saying that I was saying unfair, that you don't like, essentially you don't know the difference between on the record and off the record. Like as it, this is proof, you know, the difference between what is and what isn't on and off the record. It was insane, like because that would have, you know, it's a it's a monster revelation, and uh, it's probably going to be the biggest headline out of all of this. I, everyone already knew that Phil bet a, a lot of money. The actual the receipts are interesting and they're they're eye popping, but I think the Ryder Cup bit is the biggest revelation in in Billy's book and obviously in our excerpt. And um, you know, I've known it for years, and I, I couldn't say it. And so, you know, when Phil said I didn't treat him fairly, it was like such an eye roll because. I had this, it would have, it would have sent my book to the moon even more, but I had an agreement with Billy. I always honor those agreements. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was cathartic to see it in print. Honestly. All right. At least now it's out. This is what happened. This is just the truth. You know, this is the reality. Um, I, I, you know, my reaction and we should say, you know, there, there's a second chapter that, that where Billy goes into the insider trading case and we're sort of embargoed from talking about that from the publisher. Like our agreement was, we just, we'd only talk about what's in the excerpt and that's fair. But uh, of course I've read that chapter and it's pretty withering. Um, you know, I, I will say that, um, in our excerpt, Billy talks about that and he kind of teases it a little bit. And, um, you know, as, as he writes and as Billy writes in, in, in this chapter that we've excerpted, you know, about Phil, I never told him I had inside information about stocks and he knows it. All Phil had to do was publicly say it. He refused. The outcome cost me my freedom, tens of millions of dollars and a heartbreak I still struggle with daily. While I was in prison, my daughter committed suicide. I still believe I could have saved her if I'd been on the outside. So, you know, Billy goes into great detail about about the insider trading and Phil's role, and um, you know Phil was never charged with a crime. He did have to return about a million dollars in ill-gotten gains, which is a favorite term of mine. Um, so it's interesting to read Billy's take on all that, and I'll, that'll that'll come out in other places. We won't talk about it here, but um, I think that on on the whole, Phil will survive this excerpt, this book and these revelations. Um, it was interesting when he started self-identifying as a gambling addict, which was only happened in the wake of the publication of my book. And, you know, that takes courage. That takes bravery to, to come out in public for anybody 
I, we all have people in our lives who struggle with some kind of addiction and that's the hardest part is for them to admit it. And for a public figure to say it publicly, that's a big deal. So I, I, I salute Phil's courage there. And, um, the cynic would say that he knew what was in, what was coming in Billy's book. And that was sort of rebranding. You know, we, we all, I think societally we have more empathy for people who struggle with addiction versus those who are just reckless or foolish. Right. And so, um, he'll say, Hey, I was an, a gambling addict. I got it in over my head on the bets. That was a long time ago. Um, uh, I think he'll survive that part. The Ryder cup bit. I mean, again, Pete Rose was banned for life from baseball. He's not in the hall of fame as the all time hits leader because of gambling on, on his own team. Um, which is what, you know, Billy alleged Phil wanted to do. Now I'm sure knowing Phil and knowing how this is going to play out, Phil's going to say, Oh, I was just joking. I, you know, I would, that was just, that was just locker room talk. I, I would never would bet on the Ryder cup. I never placed a bet. It never happened. And in the absence of some other person like Billy Walters coming forward and saying, yeah, I cashed that bet for Phil. Um, <laughs> he'll probably survive that too. Um, you know, the, the insider trading chapter, it's very unflattering towards Phil as people can probably guess from that little bit that I just read. Um, but again, Phil was never charged with a crime. Um, and there's no new information in what Billy says that would probably change that. So I think, I think he'll survive that chapter too. I mean, it's just, it's the through line in, in the Phil Mickelson story is he just kind of wiggles out of these things and he's, there's been so many blowups and controversies in his public life. Uh, and he's, he's kind of skated on all of them. Even, you know, the revelations that came out of my book calling, you know, the, 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 the public investment fund guys, scary motherfuckers and all that uproar getting suspended by the tour in some ways, Phil's been vindicated. Like the PJ tour is now doing business potentially if they can consummate the framework agreement with those very same scary motherfuckers. And, a lot of the changes that Phil was calling for and advocating for have come to fruition. So even that was a monumental controversy in his life. He's, he's kind of survived that he's just the ultimate survivor. So I think that, um, I think that he's going to be okay, but it's, um, it just adds more context, more nuance. And I, I think the biggest takeaway is that, that Bill, Billy Walters and Phil Mickelson were best friends and they, and Billy was Phil's mentor. And in the end, Phil completely torched that relationship and um, did a lot of weird things and was not there for his friend when his friend was in a dire circumstance. And I think that's probably the most damaging thing. It's not the money. We knew he bet a lot. He's going to skate on the Ryder Cup thing. We, the insider trading bit's already mostly public, but that, you know, to you have a, fr a friend who's drowning he's in the he's in the whitewater and you're potentially holding you know uh a rope you can throw to him and, and phil never threw the rope in billy's telling that that's that's rough man i mean that that really hits you on a human level and i think that's probably gonna on some level curdle feelings towards phil more than anything else in this book the last line in the book excerpt that Billy writes is as my book makes clear, Phil is not always the person he seems to be. And I had someone recently in sort of casual conversation out on the golf course, ask me, so why was Alan writing a book on Phil? You know, you know, the timing of 
of what he said, you trying to get, get a hold of him, him not let it, you know, sort of you convincing him that his inner circle needed to kind of talk to you so that the book that you were writing could be fair and balanced. And so someone was, someone was saying, why was Phil writing a book? Uh, why was Alan writing a book on Phil? And I was like, uh, have you read the book? <laughs> it's because it's all of this because he's so complicated, you know, it's complicated, it's layered, it's complex. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like the, 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 just the, the, the Phil being this big onion and just the peeling back of who he is and what he is and how he operates and the relationships he has or the bets that he had, like, it's just so, so much. It's, um, and you know, even to this day, like, you know, and the Saudis and the breakaway league and the, uh, he just like, it's just, he is, he is quite a, quite a character. Yeah. And, you know, I have my own book coming out in a little while about the, the live golf PGA tour. And I've learned so much about Phil in this process. And of course, everyone knows he was, he was, he was deep in, in league with, with the Saudis, but there was two other breakaway leagues that Phil was heavily involved with. The, he, he was advocating for the PGL, the premier golf league, which was a precursor to all this. Uh, and there's a hilarious bit where he got, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ruining a funny part in my book, but he calls up, um, Keith Pelly, um, of the European tour, you know, CEO of the European tour. He's like, Keith, you're a visionary. The PGL is going to work. Like you got to make it happen. And he's like, if we just need one player to sign and everyone will sign, including tiger, you know, and like Phil's just giving him this hard sell. Like, it's just funny that he calls up Pelly and, and, you know, you're a visionary. Like, I just love it. It's so over the top. And, um, and then there was this third rail thing that Phil, he, he took to uh, this big private equity firm in New York and was, was, kind of like it was, he had had this other idea this this came out in the new york post a while ago and um it's just like he was working four sides of the street he was negotiating with the tour with the saudis with the premier golf league and with, the, with, with these private equity guys and it's just unbelievable i mean again you could say phil was right like it what one of the lessons from this framework agreement and this all of this is that the tour business model was outdated and they needed to be for profit like the other leagues are in professional sports and they needed to have the ability to take outside money and phil saw that very clearly but he was just trying to make it happen in the in the back alleys in the shadows but he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't wrong on the merits it was just the way he handled everything and you know again I, I, I sent a tweet out about the Billy Walters stuff this morning and some folks have responded. It's his money. He can do what he wants. Sure. That's totally true. Um, it is his money. He can set it on fire. Um, however, where it becomes more complex is if he's betting so much and losing so much that he has to chase money and that leads to a, a complete reshifting of the entire professional golf landscape which might or might not be exactly what happened, then Phil's private gambling becomes of keen interest to the entire golf world. And it has had this cascading effect on the entire sport. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I fully, you know, when, when players get in trouble with, with drugs, alcohol, women, like, I try, I try not to wag my finger, you know, I'm, I'm, I try not to moralize, like we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. Um, and 
but when there's larger consequences, then it becomes, it spills into the public domain. And uh, so it's, it's just a fast, it's just another fascinating chapter. I mean, I remember you and I, Matt, talking like 10 years ago about golf has to prepare for the, t- the post Tiger and Phil era, right? Like they can't go on forever as the headliners, but here we are like Phil's in his fifties, Tiger's broken down, heading for age 50. And they still dominate the discourse in every way. You know, Tiger is now going to save the PGA Tour by joining the board. And he organized the the, the meeting in Delaware and all of it. And, uh, you know, the whole, the whole world vibrates whenever he tees it up, even when he misses the cut. And, you know, here's Phil, almost won the Masters this year. And he's the center of all these storms. And now there's this this Billy Walters book. And he's, he has a prominent role in, in my next book. It's like... We can't quit these guys. Like they just won't go away. They're the cult of personality around Tiger and Phil is so monumental. We're never going to escape them. I mean, we're, you and I are going to be in our seventies and so are they, and we're still going to be talking about them and writing about them. It's just, it's unbelievable. But I mean, maybe we're lucky. They're, they're certainly fascinating and their, their flaws and their, their human element is part of what makes it so interesting. Like, like take Derek Jeter. Uh, or I, I don't know, Tom, uh, what Patrick Mahomes or Mike Trout. Those are better examples, transcendent athletes, but totally boring. And I, no one's, you can't write, you can't talk about them for 50 years. They're just, they're just great athletes, but Phil and Tiger exist on so many different levels and they become these, these moral questions and they become these mirrors where we have to, we have to look at ourselves and society as a whole. And it's just, it's it's an unbelievable time to be alive as as a golf fan and and being in the golf media oh yeah and that's and we have also been talking about that since the mid 90s which is how lucky are we to be alive and in this industry covering tiger and phil like in the bloodstream of of what these guys are pumping out pumping through the sort of the the bodies of of sports fans and brought golf you know Golf needed Arnold Palmer and Arnold Palmer needed Jack Nicholas. Golf needed Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods needed Phil Mickelson because you have to have someone to go along with you. And we, you know, we caught the tail end of the, the first part, you know, of, of Tiger and Jack. I mean, um, of Arnold and Jack, we got Tiger and then Phil. I think the bigger question for me is, is wh- who is the next, who is the next sort of, you know, competitor and, you know, golfer for that matter, who's going to fill this insane void <laughs> on the course of, yeah. of what these guys, you know, Brooks Kepler and Bryson DeChambeau, or, you know, it's not, it's not, there's that, that's tiddlywinks compared to like what we're <laughs> yeah. talking about with Tiger and Phil. I know. Well, partly probably no one because they've been such cautionary tales. I mean, I think, you look at a guy like Rory, I think he watched Tiger's life disintegrate and all the strife that Tiger's been through. And that helped Rory. You know, Rory was kind of this swinging single guy and he was chasing girls and he was driving fast cars and he was doing all that stuff. It was a little more low key and a little more controlled, but he was having his fun for sure. And I think he saw Tiger's life go up in flames. He's like, yeah, I, I better, I better change my trajectory a little bit. I want to get married and have a kid and, and be, become extremely private and hide behind very tall hedges. And, um, you know, I think, I think Tiger and Phil have scared a lot of these guys straight 
and and, um, and social media by the way like it's yeah. just a different time it's just a different time I and mean, you know there's there's not the veils that these guys mounted you know uh from a business standpoint from a personal standpoint and you know all the 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 the, the stuff that they were involved in was just stuff that you know and 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 arnold Arnold benefited from that. And I'm sure many others, you know, uh, of that era, not unlike in any sport or, or politics for that matter. Um, and I just think it's such a different time. It's so hard to create those facades in, yeah. in what we're living in today. I mean, it is wild. Tiger's, you know, selling Buick family cars and, he's, and rendezvousing with like, you know, porn stars and, you know, Phil's the ultimate family man, skipping, skipping U.S. Opens for his, his kids' events. And he's got all this his mob, all these shady dudes in his life and all this other stuff. And I will say, you know, Billy Walters in his book does, does write that I'm not going to get into Phil's private life. Um, and that will be a monumental sigh of relief to Phil and the people around him because they were very close. They moved in the same circles, whether it's the Madison Club in Palm Springs or wherever. And Billy knows a lot of stuff. And that he ultimately went, you know, bro code and, and didn't put anything in print was a massive favor to Phil. And um, will again and quite help. frankly separates separates Billy from Phil in a way. Uh, to to the, your point about like Phil could have could have given a rope to his buddy but chose not to. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and, and also there's a big there is a little sliver of me. You know, I just think Tiger and Phil were always fascinating. We were always drawn by their greatness on the course. They're they're they are just as fascinating off the course, and and to your point again, will continue to be. It, it's amazing, it's amazing what we've been able to follow along and observe and witness. Sometimes it's been painful to watch. In many cases, it's been painful to watch. It is. It's very much like going to a car race. I mean, they're going at very high speeds. It's high stakes. There's sharp turns. You know, there's other that, you know, if you're not rubbing, you're not racing. These guys have been rubbing and racing for a long stretch of time and a very high speed. And to this point, they're still alive to tell about it. And for us to watch, you know, what's next, um, it, you know, in a way we thank you. Thank you, Tiger and Phil. Yeah. I, I got a little shudder when you said that, you know, thinking about Tiger's car accident and, um, you know, it's, I've written it's real. It's real. And I, I, I put this in print. I've talked about this before. I mean, it's, it's dark when you start looking at the details of that accident. I mean, he, he, he's never talked about it. It's all in the police report is how he bats it away. And in the police report, it says that pedal was depressed 99% force throughout the whole accident. Like, that doesn't happen if you fall asleep. That doesn't happen if you get distracted by your phone. Like that's willful. And there's an L, there's something dark there. And you know, Junior Seau, if you remember, he had a one-car accident, and a lot of his friends were concerned about about him because the, the story didn't check out. And then, of course, he wound up taking his own life. And um, I've always thought about the reporting around af after after Junior Seau was dead, when hearing about that that accident and and how concerned the people were in his world. And um, so, yeah, it's. <laughs> 
I mean, we've, we've marveled at these guys as sportsmen and they've enriched our lives in so many ways as golf fans and the most transcendent moments of between the ropes of, of the last, you know, three decades have been from Tiger and Phil and they've been these, these incredible characters, but there's also, there's, there's a dark side there and there's a, there's a level of concern and the recklessness and the out of control aspects of their life. Uh, you're right. They've, they're still here. It's somewhat incredible on, on some level and they're, you know, Phil's still going strong. I mean, the guy almost won the freaking Masters a few months ago. So, Tigers paid a higher price. You know, but um, it's it's real stuff, and it does. It, I do have empathy for both of them because, and if you and I were given access to unlimited money and fame um, at a young age, like who knows what would have happened. Uh, they might be not writing good. books about not you good. and I. <laughs> like, so I'm I'm not one. I'm not I'm not moralizing. I'm not I'm not condemning them. Like we've all no. made our mistakes, and but there's as you said, it was at higher speeds and higher stakes. And um, when I when I going back to your question from a while ago, when I read this Billy's book, you know, I felt some sadness for Phil. Um, because this was an important relationship in his life that's just been napalmed. And if you remember what got Billy Walter's sentence commuted uh, by President Trump was it was in part the support of the golf community. Butch Harmon, um, David Faraday, Peter Jacobson, they were among the guys who wrote letters in support of of Billy Walters. Those are three of the most popular guys in golf, right? And from talking to people at the Madison club and other places, you kind of had to pick sides. Were you with Phil or were you with Billy? And almost everyone took Billy's side. And, you know, I've been told that Phil's not really welcome at the Madison club anymore. And uh, that was his home base in a lot of ways. And, but that was also Billy's spot. And so it's like the people close to them chose sides and they voted with their feet and they all went, they all went with Billy. And, um, even you know writing, writing this live book there's a there's a theme with greg norman it's like the emptiness in his life and the lack of friends um has been this huge void and he's destroyed a lot of friendships um and it kind of feels the same with phil you know like the the people that he was close to the, the llama just been left behind they don't have a new number um he's just become kind of this recluse and so uh billy walters is part of that story and he tells it he tells it pretty, pretty bluntly in this book. And, um, so it's, it's, there's, there's a heaviness to all of this. I mean, we we can, you have to shake your head in amazement and almost laugh about the the numbers. They're so cartoonish of the betting. I mean, a, who bets a billion dollars? It's like, it's hard to, you can't even process it and you have to laugh, but there's, there's a, there's a, there's a dark side to all of this. And so, um, you know, I think we're just going to see how it plays out, uh, how Phil responds and, and where we go from here. The famous Andy Mill quote, former husband of Chris Everett, who palled around with Greg Norman and his wife, and then Chris Everett left Andy to be with Greg. They got married, divorced, and Andy Mill saying, I would have taken a bullet for Greg. I just didn't know it was going to come from his gun. Yeah, it was a classic. And um, that, that, you know, and that's essentially what Billy said at the end of, you know, at the end of the excerpt was, you know, this, we were, you know, 
he was in the whitewater and needed a, needed a friend and, um, didn't happen, but, uh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, even look at like, look at Nick Faldo, you know, there's been a lot of messiness in his life. Um, you know, Lee Trevino, all the divorces and all the craziness. I mean, it really begs a question. Now you have your, you have your Jack Nicholas's who are, you know, been married to the same woman his whole life. And then there's, there's, there's exceptions to the rule, but a lot of these great champions, they're so single-minded. They just leave, they leave a lot of damage behind in their lives. And is it worth it? I mean, only they can answer that question. That's all we, we've always had, this has come up in various times. Like if you could give tiger true serum and ask him only one question and people always have a different one. My question, my answer is always the same. Was it worth it? I, I would curious what Tiger would say. I'm curious what Phil would say. Was it worth it? I mean, they um, they've been to the mountaintop and they've 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 tasted some of those glorious moments in sports history and um, and they've made fortunes and they've lost fortunes and they've they've lost marriages. They've like all of it. It's it's well, wild stuff. And 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 I think they only have an answer to that question right before the end and. So, you know, and the story is still going. So I, yeah. you know, I, 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 I would imagine they probably need, I would, I would think they still need time. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, that's true. The story is still going. The book has been written. It is Billy Walters, a gambler. Um, it's on sale everywhere next week. Of course you can find it um, wherever you buy your books. It, it's an interesting read. And, uh, as I said, Phil's only two chapters in it. There's Billy's had a crazy life. I, I enjoyed learning more about him. Uh, I mean, he was he was born dirt poor uh, in Kentucky, abandoned by his parents. Like you talk about a hard knock life. It's really an American story, um, and with a lot of twists and turns. So uh, anyone anyone will enjoy this book, I believe. But the the Mickelson stuff is 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 the is the head the headlines. It's and it's it's the raciest stuff, I think. So. It's been it's been interesting to to pick it apart. Matt, thanks for doing this. Appreciate your insight. Thank you, uh, and thank thank you for continuing to be at the center of all of this. In what I would say has been a, a rather impressive display of commitment, time, effort, energy, reporting, writing, podcasting all the while doing any number of other things, including coaching your, your daughter's basketball team and <laughs> being an incredible dad to the other three kids you have. So, I mean, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's always, uh, you know, it's great to work with you. It's also great to talk with you about what it is we do and uh, just incredible stuff yet again. Yeah. Well, back at you. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's, and it's just funny because our, you know, we're the same age as these guys. I mean, um, <laughs> we came up. Uh, I mean, I turned pro the same year Tiger did. I left UCLA when when Tiger left Stanford. Um, you know, when I was an intern at Sports Illustrated, that was Phil's second full season. You, you've been tracking them the whole way through as well. Like it's just um, it's my life is complicated. Like we both juggle a lot of things. When I read and hear about these guys' lives, I'm like. Jesus, like how many, how many people in their inner circle are they keeping busy trying to keep up with these shenanigans? 
Well, I, yeah. I mean, I've now spoken to four different lawyers for Phil Mickelson in, in the last couple of years. So that's, <laughs> I mean, some, My some lawyer have, count is, is just so much lower than theirs. Like, <laughs> some people have a lawyer. If you're like really have a big life, you might have two. I mean, he's got at least four. It's wild. Incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. All right. Good stuff. Well, um, thanks for listening. This was another fire drill. We will be um, back at you with who knows what's coming next. There's always something here at the fire collective, but, um, we appreciate your fidelity. Thanks for listening. And this is the end. Goodbye. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. Ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking